As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterville slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself and no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League draw. From the Barcelona PSG Ribontada rematch to Atalanta Real, we've got all the red-hot reaction. Plus, all the weekend's news from Europe. Why was Favre fired? How did Neymar get nobbled? And will Barcelona catch the coronavirus? All of that and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, thank you for joining us. It's December the 15th. I'm James Richardson. With me here, James Horncastle. Hey, James. Julian Laurence. Bonjour. Raphael Honigstein. Hi, James. And Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. All right, then. So much to discuss. Uh, We're recording on Monday. We've just seen the Champions League and the Europa League draws, but we'll begin uh, with Monday's biggest news, which is the sad tidings from France that Gerard Houllier had died who was both the Légion d'honneur for his services to French football and an honorary OBE for his uh, services equally to the British game. Principally, his work, of course, at Liverpool. Jules, how was he regarded in France and what's the reaction been to the news of his passing? Huge sadness uh, back home, James. He was, what I think, one of the, one of the greatest because... It, the thing about him was that obviously he didn't he was not a football player before you know he was an english teacher so his pathway to become one of the best uh, coaches in in france and in europe had been very different to to many others and i think he really brought something different 
as a, as a coach, even in his relationship with the players, having never been there before. And also then when he worked for the French Federation to form uh, future coaches and managers. Also, his approach, I think, was, was really different. He obviously had a lot of success at PSG. Uh, and then with, with Liverpool, for example, not so much with the French national team, which I think was always uh, a big scar for him, especially because... Uh, he kept being reminded as well of that disastrous uh, 1994 World Cup qualifiers um, round. David Ginola. And David Ginola, yeah. But he was, he was very passionate. He was very um, intelligent, very, very intelligent, uh, very clever in the way that he was dealing with people. But you see the reaction from, from former players as well, that he was loved so much by his, his players. He was always defending them. And, and even if with the media sometimes, or even with people he was working with, he was quite fierce and, and quite tough at times. Uh, I think the most important is that he loved his teams, he loved his players. He then went on to work for Lyon and for the Red Bull group as well. And he was, he was being an advisor. He loved that name because he was so good at being in the background and... and sort of manipulating things and, you know, get, getting his opinion always to work. He was, he was such a clever guy and I had many, many dinners and discussions with him and he was always very interesting, but he was always very interested in what people would think of him, but also of other things. He was always there to learn and I think it's, it's a huge loss for French football and, and I think for football in general. Mm. Well, this coming, of course, just a few days after another huge loss to the World Game, which was uh, Paolo Rossi's passing a uh, funeral for whom was was held on Saturday. Yeah, it was broadcast live on Italian television as well. I think that tells you something about how much uh, Paolo Rossi means um, to Italy as a country, um, particularly, uh, yeah, the 1980s really began, uh, not in 1980, but in 1982, uh, with that World Cup win. It made a country happy again after a, a decade of great tension, uh, terrorism, strikes, um, and all of a sudden, uh, yeah, Paolo Rossi and uh, that hat-trick against Brazil and the way he didn't stop scoring from then onwards um, changed the mood uh, and the atmosphere uh, of, a, of a nation. And I think uh, for that reason, um, Italy uh, was, was very sad to see him taken so young uh, after uh, a while out with, uh, with lung cancer. Um, and uh, I think this is, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, James, but I've interviewed him a couple of times and, uh, he was someone who never kind of made you feel like he was a superstar. He was always kind, generous with his time. And I think that's another, I think that's another thing that, um, certainly a lot of his colleagues who worked with him for a long time, miss him for all the more was that he was just a genuinely nice person. Mm. Just a really, uh, simple down to earth guy. Well, two more of football's great figures leave the field then. We'll move on to the week's other news after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Yep, dust off your PSG narratives. The teams that brought you that 2017 classic at the Camp Nou will be meeting again, courtesy of everyone's favourite UEFA Champions League. Last 16 draw was held on Monday and out of the pots came some pretty hot balls. 
uh, two of them belonging to Barcelona and PSG, who will be meeting in mid-February and then again early March. Jules, you must be excited. Yeah, very excited. As we always say after a draw like this, there's so many things that can happen between now and the end of February, of course, in terms of mm. form, injuries, even new players, because with a transfer window between now and, and, and those games, Messi. a lot of the teams could look very different. However, it's very exciting because, because it's one of those historical encounters of the Champions League in the past few years of course there's that remontada in 2017 there's been other games uh, always very eventful between the two clubs so looking forward to it and you know for revenge really let's hope so okay huge game for Neymar if he gets fit again because this is one of the big stories from the weekend 96th minute of the clash with Lyon which Paris Saint-Germain lose he goes off on a stretcher after getting his ankle turned Yes, that's right. He had a scans this morning in in uh, Paris, and actually, it's not as as bad as he was feared. Straight after the game, he left the pitch crying, and the, the medical staff, PSG, were quite worried. To be fair, but there's no fracture, there's no ligament damage either. So I think he will have a month off, and then we'll come back, and and hopefully we'll be there for for those games at the end of February, which will be very special for him, not just because he's Barcelona, but because, of course, of all the stories when he wanted so badly to go back, because of Messi as well. And and again, his claim that he, he wants to play with Messi again next season. So, yeah, all of those narratives would be would be really good. OK, well, the rest of the draw is pretty exciting as well. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who put out a tweet celebrating the fact that they finally didn't have a Champions League group with Man City and have made it out. Who do they get? <laughs> Man City. <laughs> Lazio are up against Bayern for the first time ever. Atletico Madrid will be facing Chelsea. Leipzig get Liverpool. Porto take on Juventus. Atalanta will take on Real Madrid. And Sevilla will be up against Borussia Dortmund. And whoever is their manager at that point, because here's another big bit of news from the weekend. Rafa, Lucien Favre, fired. Yeah, at last, I think uh, you have to say, because... This has been coming not just this season, but perhaps as long ago as the summer of his first season in charge. But Dortmund felt they kind of threw it away. They had gone into that season with a realistic opportunity to win the title against Niko Kovac's Bayern. Did quite well, but ultimately fell away in the second half of the season. Um, last season it was the other way around. They played a very good second half of the season, but the first half of the season was very poor. And if there'd been any viable candidate out there, I think Favre would have gone earlier. But as it is, Dortmund decided to see out his uh, tenure before targeting somebody else for next summer. But unfortunately, the team had disintegrated almost uh, tactically against Stuttgart in that 5-1 defeat on Saturday that they were left with no choice but to pull the plug earlier because there was a real danger they might you know, hurt their, their chances in the league and in the cup as well, potentially. So they wanted to to make that uh, switch now. And they have now Edin Terzic, the assistant coach, come in as interim coach. And I think in the summer they'll go for a bigger name. And the name mostly mentioned is Marco Rosa of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm, who has a release clause. Well, we'll hear more about that later on. In terms of the rest of that draw, what else leaps out at you? What else has you licking your lips? Is it Leipzig? Liverpool, is it Atalanta, Real Madrid, Alvaro? That's going to be very special. It is going to be special, but I think that there is a little sense of relief by Real Madrid fans, considering how bad they were a week ago, and suddenly they are facing Atalanta in the Champions League last 16. At the end of the day, 
we all know that Atalanta can be a proper threat, even though perhaps now they look a bit worse than last season and Papu Gómez seems to have some problems as well over there with the manager. But uh, yeah, I mean, considering how dark the future looked for Real Madrid a week ago, uh, playing against Atalanta now, it sounds like good news. What do you think, James? Is it good news? Will it be come February? <laughs> well, a lot can change between now and then. Uh, I would say that Atlanta impressed uh, in Europe more so than they did last year. They got seven points uh, in the group stages last season. Uh, they got 11 this time around. They went to Anfield and won. They went to Amsterdam and won. Um, certainly after that 5-0 defeat to Liverpool in Bergamo, um, they recalibrated, uh, played a more mature, uh, more measured game. And I think that will uh, be perfect uh, for when they go to Valdebebas, which doesn't have the same aura that uh, the Bernabeu does. Um, certainly won't have fans, or at least it's very doubtful that uh, uh, there'll be any fans uh, allowed in. Um, and, you know, we saw Madrid are vulnerable um, in this competition. They get it done when they need to. And I think that's always the concern. I mean, looking at other round of 16 games involving Madrid and Italian sides in recent years, you think of Roma going there, you think of Napoli going there, both uh, feeling that they had a chance to win, but missing opportunities. And then, you know, invariably Sergio Ramos scoring from corner kicks or something like that. Uh, being their undoing. But um, I'm actually quite confident, at least in terms of Atalanta's ability to score on this Madrid team, given that they shipped three goals against Shakhtar in that defeat on match day one. They shipped two goals in the 3-2 win against Inter as well. So you can get at them. And as you say, they they do have a reputation for getting it done when they need to, but they have gone out of the last 16, well, the last couple of seasons, no? Yes, they have. I mean, they lost against uh, Ajax in 2019, against Manchester City in 2020. It has to be said that uh, that Ajax and that Manchester City were very good teams and uh, Real Madrid was simply not up to the challenge. This season, they look better than two seasons ago. They look better than uh, last season back in March. And it has to be said as well that uh, Real Madrid has been really good um, when it comes to the short assignments, like getting the job done when it has to be done. Uh, this is what they have done in the last 10 days. And uh, I think that uh, Zidane can get many conclusions from what happened uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, he knows that if he plays with the backbone of eight or nine key players at Real Madrid, the team has a, a very consistent uh, approach to the game uh, that the team is very difficult to beat but as soon as Zinedine Zidane starts rotating heavily and this is something that uh, he'd better not do uh, when he plays Atalanta well uh, then Real Madrid suffers. Okay what else uh, leaps out from that round of 16 draw Jules, Rafa what other games are you looking forward to? Oh, I think Leipzig-Liverpool has to be the one as well very exciting for Klopp going back to Germany of course for Klopp against Nagelsmann uh, and and especially for this Liverpool side, who probably will not be with with Diego Jota, or if he just come back, if he had come back, he would be just from from his injury. A Liverpool team that doesn't seem to be able to get the players, all the players, fit without having more injuries on the back of it. So you don't know what kind of form they will be in two months' time. And for Leipzig, if they get Dominic Soboslai as well in, in January, they would be so good and so strong. Certainly going forward, they would still make mistakes defensively, but they would also be able to score more goals than you anyway. So it'd be quite fascinating to see that contest, I think. Me, me too. I'm excited about that one, James. But also about Bayern Lazio because they've never played each other before and hopefully there'll be maybe some fans involved, both Munich and Rome. Really nice places to watch. And of course, Atletico Chelsea as well. 
Right, yeah. No, I mean, they're all... They're, that's the thing. It's a fantastic draw. Uh, Lazio Bayern, you're dubbing the Klusiku, James. <laughs> yes, sorry. It's appalling, but yeah, that's what, what came to mind. Miroslav The Klosiku. what? The what? The Klusiku. It's like classical... Oh, Miroslav... Exactly. Oh, my God. Come on, that keep, is, up. That, keep oh up. Oh, my God. That is dire. Yeah, but um, closer. who had five very good years uh, with, with Lazio, um, won the cup with them. Uh, I remember him scoring four in one game, I think, against Bologna um, as well. And he was the guy that Turi Mobile actually replaced. And when Immobile came in, a lot of people were sceptical that he could actually fill uh, closer's boots. And instead, Immobile has become a Lazio all-time great. And uh, yeah, this game pits um, the two players who went toe-to-toe for the Golden Shoe Award last year, which is Immobile and Lewandowski, um, against each other. And uh, in some respects, this Champions League campaign has been a, a, a little bit about revenge over German football for uh, Immobile so far. Certainly um, scored, set up a goal in the win against Dortmund on, on match day one. They went undefeated in uh, in the group and undefeated in those two games against uh, uh, the now departed Lucien Favre's uh, Dortmund. So maybe they can continue that in this. Um, I'm interested to uh, hear what Raf has to say, particularly, you know, again, after seeing Bayern look a bit vulnerable against Stuttgart a few weeks ago, they looked vulnerable again against uh, Union um, at the weekend. Yeah, they're a tired Bayern team that um, are hoping to somehow find a bit of time and energy over the Christmas break, which is a very short one, unusually short one, unfortunately for them, and then go again. Um, the good news is that Joshua uh, Kimi should be back soon. He started uh, training again with the team this week. Um, maybe the ability to rotate a little bit more up front will will see them be slightly fresher come February. But it is true, I think, that the Bundesliga on the whole, their traditional advantage of having this long winter break, especially compared with with England and um, and Italy, that will not be affected this year. And uh, I think it might hurt their chances going forward, especially with Bayern and even Leipzig to a lesser extent, just having had so many games in 2020. Mm. It's interesting, that angle of Immobile against Lewandowski, good to finally get a sense of which one is the better centre-forward, one of the burning issues in European football. <laughs> Oh, now, now. I mean, I think we can st- still say that Immobile is a top-class striker without mm-hmm. saying he's as good as, as Lewandowski. I think um, his, I mean, this season in particular, I think shows that because whilst he's been racking up all these numbers in, in Serie A, people said, oh, well, we haven't seen him against top top teams in the Champions League. And yet this year he scored, what, five in, in five. Um, he's got a very good record in the Champions League. I have to say that that tie to me looks the most cut and dried. But sure, a lot of yeah. things can happen between <laughs> between now and uh, February. Rafa, I mean, people might make the same case for Borussia Mönchengladbach with Man City. This notion that Marco Rosa might move across to Dortmund, would that come at the end of the season? Is that likely to affect this? And what do you think of Gladbach's prospects? Yeah, so if he does move, it'll, it'll be in the summer. The question is, how will Dortmund and Gladbach handle it? Will they announce it early? Will they try you know not to know about anything and just then in maybe may or june say oh by the way marco rosa is coming over i think that's probably unlikely because the release clause i'm sure will have to be triggered at a certain uh, moment in time if there is indeed one because these are uh, strong reports but still unconfirmed 
so we'll have to see. I don't think it will really impact what happens over the course of two legs against Manchester City. I think Gladbach will be highly motivated and whatever rules it does or doesn't do doesn't really come into come into play too much. What I would say is that Gladbach, I think, in a much better position than they were when they last met City in back-to-back Champions League campaigns and were twice knocked out in the group stage in 15-16 and 16-17. This is a very different Gladbach side under, under Rose that they've really evolved as a team. They can score against the best teams in Europe and that includes Inter. They can um, <laughs> they can uh, hold their own. But of course, they are, especially at the back, not quite Champions League winning material. So I think a lot of it, a lot of things will have to go right for them if they have any chance. But their chances are certainly better than they were a few years ago. One last thing before we move on from the Champions League draw. Uh, Jules, you, you hinted at transfers playing perhaps a part in how these ties might go. I'm wondering if there's anything that Paris Saint-Germain might be lining up, maybe a player they could sign from Barcelona to shift the balance of that upcoming tie. Can you, can you imagine if Messi signs on January the 30th or something, just a month before, um, before the clash? At the moment, they don't, they're focusing only on renewing Neymar and Kylian Mbappé's contract. They, they're quite positive about it. They say that both of them want to stay, or at least wants to extend and stay for a little bit, not, not through the whole career, but I think that's the priority. And once you've done that, there's no money left anyway. So um, for Messi, maybe you try to find some. But for the other players, I don't think there is, unless you let some players go, like Julian Draxler or Angel Di Maria will be out contracting the summer anyway, and then you replace them. But apart from that, I think at the moment, the priority is very much Neymar and Mbappe. So I think in terms of bringing some players in in January that can maybe play in the in the Champions League uh, last 16 I don't right now I don't think that's the idea for PSG I think it's going to be key as well uh, who is going to take the cup competition seriously because there are many cup games in January and February in every league I would say and uh, those teams who are topping the table or those teams who are um, doing generally well, maybe they can afford to lose in the cup because the criticism is not going to be too heavy. But for a team like Barcelona, for example, now, if they get, uh, they get knocked out from the Copa del Rey uh, when they start playing it in late January, I think that could be a little bit catastrophic. So <laughs> I think that they, they are so bad in the league that they are obliged as well to show a, a, decent, a decent version in cup comp- competitions too. And this is going to play a part in the Champions League. I'm pretty sure about it. Well, we'll have an ample opportunity to discuss those last 16 ties as they hoove into view. And of course, there's also been the Europa League draw as well. We'll get onto that a bit later on. After this, though, let's get a little bit more background on Lucien Favre's departure from Dortmund. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, Why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. It's in plus begambleaware.org. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Yeah, let me translate that for you. Stuttgart 5, Dortmund 1 in Dortmund. And after that, the Schwarzgelben saying goodbye <laughs> to Lucien Favre. Uh, crikey, what what happened here? Uh, Dortmund had a good result midweek, and then they completely fell apart, conceding three goals in ten minutes. Rafa, well, that good result in midweek was their only win in five games, James. So they have been really struggling. But this latest bad run is is really just the spark or the reason why he got fired. There are more underlying structural issues that have been a problem with him. I think that. Culturally, it's always been a bit of a misfit. You know, Dortmund are a club that lives off the emotions of the crowd. They have a certain way of playing with young players. And Wildfather did a lot of good work with those young players when it comes to developing them and helping them. The team often played a fairly low tempo, quite intricate, over intricate style that if there had been fans in more games, I think would have cause a bit of an uproar when you combine then that sort of approach with a lack of defensive stability and Dortmund being so vulnerable to counterattacks as they were against Stuttgart where they were basically taken apart it makes for just a lot of unhappiness and a lot of disquiet and the initial plan as we said was to to somehow knowing that it's not going to be perfect but but hoping that it's not going to be disaster, somehow see out the season with him and then make the big change. But the form had been so bad. And the statements from Hummels and Royce after the game basically saying, well, Royce was saying, we're a team that is good at very things, but we can't defend. And Hummels saying, all we do is pass it around in small spaces and uh, lose the ball in different uh, difficult areas. These were sort of almost cries for help that the board heard and felt, okay, we, we have to pull the plug now on Favre as much as as he is a nice guy and well-respected and probably doesn't deserve to be fired. Uh, Dortmund really had no choice. OK, they lie fifth currently, six points off the top of the table. And what is a very interesting top of the Bundesliga, Leverkusen by Leverkusen are in first place, one point ahead of Bayern and Leipzig with three points behind them. Wolfsburg, who are still unbeaten who will be facing Bayern midweek because there's an English Wacken, uh, a midweek round. Dortmund, 
under their interim management will be away at Werder Bremen, uh, trying to get back into that cluster of teams at the top. What about Bayern, Rafa, and that one wonder away at Union? Just one win now in four league games for the champions. They've looked really tired, James. Really, really tired. Uh, injuries haven't helped. But I think the problem has been compounded by the way that they like to play under Hansi Flick. You know, they, they press high with a high line and they try to overwhelm teams. But right now, you can see just how difficult that is for them when, when the spark isn't quite there, when the freshness isn't there. And then, you know, you can call it a lack of organisation, but it's probably just a an inability to play and press at the, at the same levels that we saw a few months ago. And from open play, they've been a little bit static and conceding a lot of chances. So this is really a team in need of a break. And that's how they played. And Union, on another day, might have won the game. So I think Bayern are just kind of counting down the days to Christmas, hoping that they will somehow find enough reserves to to see this through and get a couple of good results. But it's been it's been a struggle for them and they just look... They just look absolutely naked. Can Wolfsburg heap more misery on them this midweek then? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, Wolfsburg are best when they can feed Wout Weghorst. So they would probably do worse against the counter-attack side of playing with a bit more pace. But they've been very, very solid and defensively they're very good under Oliver Glasner. So yeah, it's going to be a pretty difficult game. And then they have Leverkusen coming up as well. So the next you know few days will be quite important because if Bayern were to lose either of those games or, or possibly both or even draw a few of them then I think some of the excuses that we all or explanations that we all readily find will still not be enough to make for a, a quiet Christmas I think with Bayern they're always only you know one or two bad games away from a lot of crisis talk and people getting very nervous so they want to avoid it at all costs. Raf, the last time Dortmund sacked the manager at this stage of the season, it was Peter Bosch and his Leverkusen side are now top of the table and flying, even though they're, they were involved in the Europa League latter stages in Germany. They were, uh, they're also playing Europa League football again, so they've got that kind of Thursday-Sunday grind, and yet it um, doesn't seem to be impacting them. They've, they've strung a, a, a lot of wins together. Yeah, they've been really impressive. Without Kai Havertz, of course, you know, so they had to to readjust, but they have young players coming through. Florian Wirtz is is only 17. He's been playing really well for them. Leon Bailey has come back after a very indifferent spell, suddenly started scoring again. Moussa Diaby, Paris born and bred, one of the uh, fast wingers for them. He's, he's really good. So there, there, there's quality in the side. And I think Peter Bosch has managed to find the balance that, that was certainly missing when he played with Dortmund, when they were so <laughs> ridiculously open that Dortmund just couldn't handle playing that particular style. And in the end, the team sort of gave up and said, we, we can't play like like that and the manager has to go. Mm. So a nice mix of the, the young players and the old Bailey. He was he was certainly amazing this, this weekend. That, that the, the first goal, particularly fine, and Leverkusen on top of the Bundesliga for the first time in six years. Can't leave the Bundesliga without an update on Schalke, who were 2-1 up. Away at Augsburg at the weekend. Augsburg down to 10 men. It was in stoppage time. Schalke set for their first win. What did they do afterwards? Did they celebrate, Rafa? No. They managed to draw once more. At least it's a draw, not a defeat. Right. But they're now perilously close 
to that uh, all-time Tasmania Berlin record of 31 games without a win. OK, they're also perilously close to uh, a season in the second division. They are bottom of the table and six points from safety, three points from the playoff spot and 27 league games without a win. All right, then. That's enough about the Bundesliga for now. Next up, let's move on to the equally uh, spicy situation at the top of League 1. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Something we mentioned in, in Monday's edition of The Totally Football Show is that essentially here we are a third of the way through the season and the leaders in the major leagues around Europe are Spurs in the Premier League, Real Sociedad, Bayer Leverkusen as we just heard, Milan in Italy and in Ligue 1, Jules? Lille. Lille. And actually, you know what? At the draw today between the Europa League and the Champions League, uh, in the Champions League, you had uh, no team leading their leagues. And in the Europa League, you had 13 teams leading their leagues. Good Lord. Which is quite incredible when you think about it. So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that those teams will be champions come May. But certainly in France with Lille, they're having a, a superb season so far. They also qualified... For the last uh, 32 of the Europa League, they will play against Ajax. But in the league, they're fantastic. They play great football, attacking football. They've got some really good young players. They did, again, some very clever scouting in the summer and recruitment too. So, And with, with Christophe Galtier, they've got a really, really good manager as well. So they deserve to be top. They, they've been, I think, by far the best team in France so far this season. Not far behind with Lyon and Marseille and, and PSG probably in fourth. But, but certainly what you see as well in all those leagues is that the title race is, is, is quite close at the top wherever you look, in England, in Spain, in Germany and in France and in Italy as well compared to maybe years before. Yeah, why do you think that is? I think because we, I mean, I know we keep repeating the same thing, but this is a very, very special season. You know, the the big teams have gone quite far in Europe usually, so they played in August, they didn't have a proper pre-season. Um, and, and I think in the meantime, other clubs had time to work on their recruitment, work on their fitness a bit better maybe. If your team didn't have too many injuries, then obviously they would look, they would look better. And, and again, you find in some of those leagues, Clubs like Lyon, for example, who've been fantastic in Ligue 1, but who don't play in Europe. So they have only one game a week, which is far easier than obviously the very, very congested schedule that all the, the other European teams have. 
I think the summer is the key as well because uh, Spurs, Leverkusen, Milan, Lille and Real Sociedad are playing Europa League football too. So, I mean, it's not that they are resting in midweek. It's just, I believe, the summer. I mean, they have time to recruit. They have time to uh, have a proper pre-season or at least a better pre-season than the rest of the victims. And uh, I, I will put it down to that, really. And the fact that some of the teams that they are topping the table now, they already look improved back in July. Like, for example, Tottenham and most especially uh, Real Sociedad. Uh, they, had, they did a great season last year already. Mm. Well, backing up your theory about European competition is the fact that tied with Lille, a top league, are Lyon, who are level with them on points, uh, one point ahead of Paris Saint-Germain after beating the Parisians this Sunday night. 1-0, that's the fifth win in a row for Rudy Garcia's Lyon side. The whole top five, indeed, in Ligue 1 are separated by only three points because behind Paris Saint-Germain you've got Marseille. And then Montpellier, Marseille, who've now won six games in a row. Who do you think is the biggest threat to Paris Saint-Germain for this title? Because Marseille, equally cleverly, have now exempted themselves from European duties for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's true. I think Lyon are looking really strong. I think as good as Lille are, and they would be, it would be an amazing story if they were on and winning the league. But you still think that some of the young players who are really key leaders for them, like Iconé, like, like Bamba, even at the back with Botman, for example, and people like that, there may be a time where they struggle a bit with the expectations and the pressure. I think Lyon looks so strong. Rudy Garcia, in fairness, for all the criticism that he's, he got, from me included, has really turned things around. They were good in the, in the summer for their, for their recruitment. Lucas Paqueta, who I know was a ghost in Milan, but yet last night he looked absolutely fantastic, but not so much with the ball because he's always been very talented with the ball. But in, in the fight that he put, how aggressive he was, which is the side of him that maybe we didn't see too much before in, in Italy or even in Brazil. So I think Lyon looked really strong. Marseille as well, but Marseille are not playing as good football. And I think there's a point where having two shots the whole game and, and scoring two goals like they did against Monaco on Saturday won't be enough. There, there'll be a time where they get found out and and I don't think they would have another response. But, but Lyon and Lille especially have can play very different ways and, and looking really strong. And for PSG, it's just, it's just a disaster. I mean, they hadn't lost at home against Marseille for 11 years. They lost this season. They hadn't lost at home against Lyon in the league for 14 years or 13 years. They lost this season. They never lost a, a, a Champions League group, group stage game at home this season. At home, and they do it this season. And I think Thomas Tuchel has been really lucky to, to make it through the last 16 of the Champions League because otherwise it would be out of the door right now. Crikey. Uh, Marseille, by the way, who are two points off the top, have two games in hand on everybody else. There's a midweek round of fixtures in France as well. It features Lille. They're at Dijon, who are bottom of Ligue 1. Lyon take on Brest. Paris Saint-Germain have Lorient. And Marseille are at Rennes. They call that an anglais semain, don't they? Semain <laughs> <laughs> anglais. anglais. Yeah. <laughs> and next Sunday, yes. it's Lille PSG. <gasps> in north of France, yeah. That's huge, Jules. It's huge, it's huge. And without Neymar, as we said, out for four weeks, probably, and not back before 2021. So they're very, very tense times in Paris right now. Good Lord. Okay. Uh, things getting a little bit calmer, meanwhile, in the Spanish capital for Real Madrid. We'll hear about their big week and how perfectly it went after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Yeah, Real Madrid with a big week. They had Sevilla. They won that 1-0. Then they took on Borussia Mönchengladbach with their Champions League qualification on the line, and they won that in very handsome fashion, 2-0, and a same scoreline and a similarly convincing performance, was it, this Saturday, Alvaro, as they dispatched their neighbours and top-of-the-table rivals Atletico Madrid, 2-0? I think that it was quite convincing by Real Madrid. They they were better than Atletico. Uh, They seemed to be as solid as they are if not more, and uh, they prove again that uh, for the last four or five years, Real Madrid, uh, they have the upper hand in the capital derby. I mean, the last victories of Atletico against Real Madrid have been either in uh, European Super Cup type games that happened in 2018, as far as I remember, then in a friendly last summer, 7-3 for Atletico Madrid, but in La Liga, Real Madrid has the upper hand over Atletico uh, for, for four years already. So I think that this game was probably the moment for Atletico de Madrid to, you know, uh, punch Real Madrid in the face and say, I am the king of the capital. They had only conceded two goals this season. They didn't do it. They, they didn't do it. And the, the truth is that Real Madrid, they, they shown a very similar level to the level shown last summer with uh, going back to the basics, the defense come first, and uh, after we defend well, well, uh, as soon as we have a chance, we we'd better capitalize it. But if we don't, at least we know that we're going to draw this game, which is a very uh, original approach by Real Madrid, considering that until 2019, probably they were quite the opposite. Uh, but anyway, I have to say that the game leaves a scar in Atletico de Madrid because uh, there, there is a problem with Joao Felix. I mean, and this cannot be overlooked. Uh, again, he was replaced in a big game. Simone said uh, probably as an alibi that uh, he needed more physicality in midfield, so they didn't concede more by the time Atletico de Madrid was losing. And that is a very losing message too, because if you think that you cannot come back in a game you are losing against Real Madrid, well, you are sending a message uh, to your team as well, if you are the, removing uh, Joe Felix, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, Atletico always uh, sells this message uh, and this mantra that they never surrender and they will they will always believe in the victory until the end. But this time they didn't. And Joe Felix left uh, the pitch really angry with Simeone. And uh, this is not the first time that uh, there is like a, some sort of a, a disagreement or a public disagreement or a spat between the, the Portuguese player and, and, uh, and Simeone. I remember that last season, for example, uh, Joao Felix didn't start against Leipzig in the Champions League quarterfinal. Then he played a few minutes and he was the best. Uh, last season, Joao Felix ignored the pecking order of uh, El Mono Burgos um, when it came to taking a penalty. He took it. He didn't have the permission 
from Simeon or Burgos to do it, and he did it. And there was a game against Granada, I remember last season too, in which Joao Felix basically didn't defend the right flank, and Simeone was asking him all the time to do it. So it looks like sometimes Joao Felix has his own agenda. He thinks that he knows best, he thinks that he can do best, and Simeone uh, has different ideas, and they are clashing. Every now and then there is a clash between these two uh, big stars of Atletico de Madrid, because Simeone is a star as well, and yeah, uh, this was another chapter of that. Okay, one of the other stars, Luis Suarez, looking at a little bit on the uh, well, knackered side in this yeah. game. I just, by the time the, the next set of Champions League games rolls around, is Diego Costa going to be back in the picture for what would be an emotional return to Stamford Bridge? Potentially. I mean, he has had you know, injuries here and there, but the last one didn't have a clear diagnosis, I believe, uh, because he, he got some inflammation, uh, some thrombosis, as they said, and uh, there was... Uh, a theory that was linking uh, what he was suffering from to having suffered from coronavirus too. So I I wouldn't uh, confirm 100% now that he will be available for February. He mm. should be, he should be. Uh, but uh, we cannot say that now. Uh, and back to Suarez, if I may, just for a very quick one. I mean, uh, this is not the Luis Suarez that... Uh, won the America Cup in 2011. This is not the Luis Suarez that uh, single-handedly took Liverpool to almost winning the title in 2014. I mean, he's not as uh, autonomous. And Simeone at the beginning of the season said that uh, Luis Suarez needed supply, but he meant so much with that uh, with that message. There is a lot of subtext in that, because basically he's telling you that Luis Suarez without the ball doesn't do much, and he's telling you that Luis Suarez basically obliges the whole Atletico Madrid to be close to him, and Atletico would prefer to defend a little bit more deep, you know. So I think that he's uh, somehow affecting Atletico Madrid's dynamic, and if he's not scoring, it's difficult to defend while Luis Suarez is playing for Atletico. Mm, fair enough. Just on, on Real Madrid, though, uh, after their performance, and as, as we mentioned, a couple of really impressive performances from them in the last couple of days. What's behind this sudden return to form? Is there any factor in any change that Zidane has made or have there been clear the air talks? or what, What's behind it all? Well, the, the talent was always there. I think Real Madrid, uh, for a number of games in this season, they have tried to get the job done doing the minimum effort. And this is not enough for them anymore, especially if you don't have like a great scorers like Cristiano Ronaldo. And also, some players have stepped up uh, more than I would have imagined. One of them, Luka Modric. You all watched the Champions League the other day against uh, Gladbach. Luka Modric was sensational against, against Atletico de Madrid. He offered the masterclass of how to play in midfield. And when he plays all together with Casemiro and Toni Kroos, then Real Madrid means business. I think that this Real Madrid uh, playing with their best three midfielders is a different Real Madrid. When Casemiro is not there, uh, Real Madrid looks uh, worse and they suffer. And I think that against Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, Casemiro wasn't playing too in the Champions League and that's one of the reasons why they lost. But generally speaking, I would say that uh, when there are eight or nine key members of the team, and I can name them very quickly, but uh, Courtois, Carvajal, Varane, Ramos, Fernand Mendy, Casemiro, Kroos, Modric and Benzema, they always have to play for Real Madrid. If Zidane does heavy rotations, then the team will suffer. So the important thing from now until the tire against Atalanta, I think it's going to be, um, the important thing will be to get some players back on board. Uh, if uh, Zidane manages to get Odegaard, Asensio, Jovic, Nacho, some players like that who are important squad players, back on track and, uh, you know, uh, back in the, in the carousel of rotations uh, and he manages them to you know, to offer something to the team, then Real Madrid will be dangerous until the end, probably until, until May. 
as it stands, they are lying three points off the top of the table where Real Sociedad are now edging Atletico Madrid on goal difference. Real Sociedad, who are Man United's next opponents in the Europa League. Let's have a look at the Europa League draw next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Europa League draw, it's the last 32. So twice as good as the Champions League. Uh, Many ties coming up in February. Which one is your favourite? Rafa. So I think actually the two best ones are involving Premier League sides. I think both Manchester United against Real Sociedad and Arsenal against Benfica are pretty tasty and could well end with none of them making it to the last 16. What about Real Sociedad, Alvaro, against Oli's Man United? The the David Moyes derby, as producer Charlie dubs it. Yeah, and well, not only that, and uh, Adnan Yanuzai's derby as well, because he plays for Real Sociedad too. That's going to be quite complicated for Real Sociedad. They don't have the European pedigree. For some reason in Europe, uh, they haven't been able... No football heritage. Not exactly, as Mourinho said. Uh, But, you know, I think that in Europe it's very important to to score the goals in the right time. And for some reason, Real Sociedad, they are missing that. Uh, They generate plenty of goal opportunities, but then they don't convert enough. So I think that that may cost them against Manchester United, despite Real Sociedad probably being, in collective terms, a better team than Manchester United are now. Mm. Okay. Jules, what do you got your eyes on? Is it Antwerp Rangers? That's pretty good seeing how good Rangers are playing right now. I like Lille Ajax because, as we mentioned, Lille is playing really well and, and so so are Ajax, to be fair, despite being uh, knocked out in the Champions League. Quincy Promise might not be playing that game. He might be in jail by then uh, after what happened this weekend. Quincy Promise got arrested for apparently stabbing a family member. Allegedly, yeah. So he might not be playing that game against Lille uh, for what is quite a pretty horrendous story. At least it sounds like. No, I like, I like, um, you know, I'm with Rafa. I like the Real Sociedad Manchester United game. Uh, I like Braga against Napoli as well. There's a th- yeah, I think there's Red a few- Star against Milan. Come on, why are you wasting your time, all you people? This is just unbelievable. Red Star, as in Red Star from the 80s. This, this, this ah, is a okay. classic. Milan are going to eat them. Game. The there's Sadiq no game. There's no contest. Come on. There's no, there's no contest. There's no contest. Milan are far too good. Two teams who were good in the 80s. For Red off. Star. Real yeah. Sociedad Man United is by far a better better encounter. Tell us about Red Star Milan, James. And you can yeah, tell, tell us, us about well. Red Star. What do you make of Red Star season so far? <laughs> well, they're through to the round of 32 of the Europa <laughs> League. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a, a tie that is rich in history on the basis that uh, were it not for the fog, Saki's Milan might never have been Saki's Milan because they would have been knocked out of this competition and perhaps wouldn't have won the European Cup uh, once, let alone twice in a row. So mm. there you go. Well, it's a fascinating clash, as are so many of those 16 last 32 ties. Uh, well, I tell you what, having mentioned Milan, let's talk a little bit about them and the top of Serie A. They're top. Inter now, though, three points behind and only a point behind them, Napoli and Juventus. Now, midweek, it is Inter-Napoli. James? It is, and it's Juventus-Atalanta as well. So it's Ooh. a big um, uh, settimana inglese, as they call it uh, call it in Italy. Um, they do now. But... <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Inter at the weekend, it was very similar to what we saw against Shakhtar. They dominate, dominate, dominate. And uh, the goalkeeper, yeah, the opposition goalkeeper in Antonio Conte's eyes is the only one in between them and, and, and basically victory. Um, Luomo Cranio, as they were calling him, mm. um, which is a kind of riff on Spider-Man for, for Alessio Cranio, who made six saves in the first half, um, including one on Christian Eriksen, who played well for 20 minutes, first time he started in a while, and then was hauled off after the hour mark. And Conte had fallen out with um, uh, Fabio Capello and the presenter of Sky Italia's Champions League show on, on Wednesday um, when they asked him... Um, Sorry, Antonio, we don't think you've got a plan B. You just play 3-5-2 all the time. Well, they played with a back four uh, in the second half of this game. And uh, to be honest, it didn't really have much of an effect on the outcome as they, the couple of their goals that allowed them to come back and win the game were from set pieces. But Inter looking good on the whole. Uh, and then Napoli as well. I mean, coming back from behind against Sampdoria at the weekend, um, their bench making the difference. Um, Irving Lozano coming off and what setting up a goal and scoring one himself Pitania getting the other one um, so that's going to be a, a really even game although we saw Inter go to the San Paolo and win uh, mm. really impressively um, in the spring of this year um, Juventus as well I mean uh, Dybala got his first league goal of the season um, been a lot of speculation about his future kind of tied to that of Paul Pogba as well there's been some suggestion that um yeah, Juventus were in talks about selling Dybala to United um, not last summer, but the summer before. Maybe that uh, reopens. He could be a bargaining chip for Pogba. But um, we had Dybala come out at the weekend and say, look, my future's at Juventus. I love this club. But he did say his agent has been in Turin for, for weeks and Juventus haven't called him over a contract extension. So that was pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting as well. Juve with a 3-0 win last Tuesday in Barcelona and then this 3-1 at Genoa. Are they, are they finally coming good under Andrea Pirlo? They look more settled. Um, I think uh, players are, are, are more aware of what uh, the manager is asking them. Um, you know, you can see that in, uh, for example, how well McKenney and Chiesa are playing at the moment. Um, uh, McKenney, I think, is, has had a really good week uh, for them, um, yeah, he scored in the come from behind win against Torino in the derby. He scored that excellent goal at the Camp Nou, the scissor kick on the volley, um, and he set up the goal um, that put them in front here, uh, nodding the ball down for Dybala. I think the thing with Juventus is you feel that they can win every game, you feel that they can draw every game, and you feel that they can lose every game, <laughs> which it's kind of fun position to be in if you're a neutral. Um, but if you're a Juventus fan, I think it's still. Still quite tentative. I mean, it's going to be very interesting this game against Atalanta coming up, who uh, got back to winning ways themselves in the league um, at the weekend with a 3-0 win against uh, Fiorentina, but one that came without Papu Gomez. Mm. What's happening um, to Papu? They, Atalanta is Papu and Papu is Atalanta, man. Well, big fallout between him and, uh, and Giampiero Gasperini at uh, halftime of the Michelin game. He was dropped for the, the, the following game against Udinese, which ended up being postponed. Um, basically, there was a kind of armistice or like a, a peace, a temporary peace that was put together before the Ajax game. Um, they won that, but Gasparini seems to be uh, unprepared um, to basically reconcile uh, with the player after uh, his authority was called into question by him in front of all of his teammates. Um, and you know, it's it's it was very clear. I mean, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, on Monday morning. 
uh, Papu Gomez put out an Instagram uh, story in which he said, you know, you will know the truth when I leave. Um, and it feels that um, even though he's only recently signed a new contract, their talismanic captain, very much the spirit, the heart and soul of this team, uh, is, is, is on his way out. Do you think as early as this January, perhaps? Well, I think it's going to be difficult um, because what Papu's uh, maybe what 32, 33 now. Um, Atalanta pay him well, uh, what, two million a euro a year, which is a lot of money for a, for a club of Atalanta's uh, size. He had an offer in the summer to go and play, uh, I think, in in Saudi. Um, turn that down. You know, he's an honorary citizen of Bergamo. I think the club will do everything to try and patch this up between Gasparini and and, and Papu. Um, but you know, from Gasparini's comments at the weekend, it's like, look, yeah, the club has to take a hard decision here, and it, it, it feels like that hard decision. It's 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 me or him, and I think uh, in that case, Atalanta will almost always choose Gasparini because. Papu was there before Gasparini. Papu was there in an Eddie Reha side, which was scrapping against relegation. Um, it's Gasparini's tactics. It's Gasparini's um, ideas that have got the best out of him and, and allowed this team to punch so so far above its weight. Um, so in that case, um, yeah, perhaps a separation in January is a, is a possibility. Um, I mean, that would have felt impossible just a few weeks ago. I mean, yeah, I think even in first month of, of the, this new season. Papu was in extremely good form and was player of the month, I think, in September. And I think since then, I mean, we've, we've spoken about uh, the congested fixture list, um, players going away on international duty, you know, how that's just w- wearing everybody down. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, ultimately this fatigue this, this, uh, has, has led to kind of a bus stop, really, because Papu wants to keep playing, wants to play every game. Uh, and yeah, I think Gasparini has drawn the conclusion that when Atalanta were conceding so many goals through September and, and uh, October, it was because um, they were playing with a guy who is who is tired, you know, naturally, and after flying to Peru to to not play for Argentina and flying all over the the world to to, to represent this country and not represent them, he was tired and they they they, they couldn't handle it, and now they've since kind of shown that they can play a more measured, balanced uh, style of football where they're not conceding as many goals without him. Wow. Well, Atlanta currently lined down in eighth place, just ahead of slumping Lazio. As we mentioned at the top, it is Milan three points clear of Inter with Napoli and Juve just a point behind them. Sassuolo and Roma are not far off the pace themselves. Roma six points off the top and coming off a huge weekend, which we'll touch on a little bit later on. But after this... Let's round up uh, the rest of the Liga news, including Barcelona. He just looked stressed all the time. In esta sala, él es el puto jefe, el puto amo. It got really to the point where they were completely untouchable in the league. Ich bin ein mia san mia. Someone should tell him that if he mentions some Coronation Street episode, something like that, probably he's going to be more more popular. I will be Mancunian for the rest of my life, so I will be Manchester City fan. And yet there's, there's something that, it just feels like there's something missing a little bit. I'm Ian McIntosh, and this is Beyond the Headline. Over the next two episodes, we'll take a look back on moments from Guardiola's coaching past and see what they might tell us about his coaching future. We'll ponder 
what another two years of Pep's Man City might look like and wonder whether everyone involved might come to regret it. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via The Athletic. Alvaro, ooh, you've got two, just two midweek games in La Liga. Uh, one has your lot, Athletic Club de Bilbao, taking on Real Madrid. The other one has Barcelona facing Real Sociedad. That's on Wednesday. Sociedad back on top by the slimmest of margins. Goals scored after a 1-1 in a Basque derby this weekend with Abar. Uh, as we mentioned, they're going to be taking on Man United soon enough. They're unbeaten in nine. What about Barcelona, who got back to winning ways? This weekend with a mighty 1-0 win over Levante. A late winner here from Lionel Messi. Hmm. Yes, it was a deserved win, but uh, the game also shows uh, so many structural problems that Barcelona has. And, you know, it's every narrative that you can establish about Barcelona gets outdated in the next Barcelona game, really. It's really difficult to analyze what's happening to them. Uh, and the only thing you can do rather than predicting is telling what happened. And the, the thing is that uh, in Barcelona this season, no one apart from Messi and Ter Stegen, they are showing real consistency. Uh, Messi probably is uh, playing under his best level, definitely. But uh, still, I mean, he's uh, taking the reins of the team and uh, taking all the shots. Uh, Ter Stegen has been really good. And for example, in this game, uh, Frankie de Jong was really good, uh, carrying the ball forward, doing the right runs. But uh, Barcelona has a problem because in the midfield they don't have any any generation of game. Uh, the 4-2-3-1 that Ronald Koeman is putting in place, it just doesn't work. He's killing Busquets, he's confusing the young. Uh, Pjanic is not getting real quality time. And uh, yeah, uh, at the end, uh, decent results in Barcelona having to defend the one-nil one scoreline against Levante uh, with Untiti coming coming in in the last minutes just to defend the corner. So this is the level of Barcelona now. Uh, Messi was good. Uh, Griezmann and Coutinho were rather greyish in this game and uh, Messi had to do pretty much everything up front. At the end, he scored the goal. Yes, he has lost a lot of accuracy. I think that uh, he has scored only one of his last uh, 65 free kicks, which is something that... Uh, it's really surprising in comparison to how good Messi was a year ago uh, from the edge of the box. But this is uh, Messi's reality now. And uh, yeah, now they are facing Real Sociedad. It's going to be a tough game. Real Sociedad uh, is coming at the back of six draws in a row, it's true. But at the same time, they, they know what they are doing and they are playing very well with uh, attractive, energetic football. And this is exactly what Barcelona doesn't need to face now. You often see with players, and another Argentine example would be Gabriel Batistuta, how they'll be maintaining, almost fine-tuning themselves until maybe their early 30s and suddenly have a massive fall-off in form from one season to another. Is that what we're seeing now, tragically, with Leo Messi? Or, or is it just that he's in this team that doesn't really make any sense and it's not allowing him to do his messiness? Personally, I think that Lionel Messi needs uh, to be well-surrounded more than ever. He's still the best player at Barcelona, but uh, he has lost a little bit of speed. And uh, the accuracy is something that uh, strikes me. I mean, Lionel Messi has probably scored like 300 goals from the edge of the box that uh, he made them look easy, but they weren't. Uh, how many goals has he scored just getting a pass from Jordi Alba inside the box and just... Uh, putting it in the net, you know, no matter how strong the pass was or how difficult it was to score that, he made it look easy. And now he's not doing that. So I think that he 
he's carrying a lot of responsibility over his shoulders. Uh, three weeks ago, he arrived in Barcelona after a week in Argentina, playing for his national team, and he said he was tired of being always the problem of Barcelona. And I think that he's showing that a little bit on the pitch. He feels that he's got all this responsibility as a captain to show that he wants to win the game. And at the end, uh, he's taking some shots that he wasn't taking before. And uh, when it comes to taking the shots, sometimes he's not as accurate. So... I don't think that Messi is a problem now. I don't think that he's a problem. I just think that he's not as good as he, as he was in 2011. But the thing is that uh, at some point Griezmann and Coutinho and some other players around him, they have to step up with Messi or without Messi. And they have done it every now and then, but they don't do it consistently. And I think that this is, uh, this is affecting the team a lot. Also not as good as they were in 2011 and certainly not as good as they were in the year 2000. A quick word on Deportivo La Coruña. <laughs> Two decades on from their lone Spanish title... They are down in the Segunda B, the third division. This weekend, Alvaro, the ultimate indignity. Facing their local rivals, Celta Vigo, but because it was the third division, it was actually Celta Vigo's B team, and they lost 2-1 at home. Yes, I mean, they went down to the Segunda B last season in July, and Deportivo de la Coruña is just in a really bad spiral. Uh, they lost uh, the category, or they went down to the Segunda División a few years ago, and they haven't been able to recover since then. Uh, they don't have the financial strength that they had in the past. And uh, every word I can say about uh, Deportivo de la Coruña is a nostalgic word, because uh, they had such a team in 2000, or in 2004, pretty much they could, they had two international squads in their squad, and nowadays, yes, this is the ultimate humiliation for, for this team, uh, because Celta B, at the end of the day, is not even one of the strong B-sides in Spanish football, uh, you got Barcelona B-side, Real Madrid B-side, Athletic de Bilbao B-side, but Celta B-side, normally they are not deemed to be one of the strong ones, you know? All right. A massive Spanish side winning the title, but with huge debts that they couldn't take care of. Is this going to be Barcelona's future as well, do you think? Getting beaten by Espanyol's B team in, in the third division? No, that, that, would, that would be... I mean, for that to happen, for that to happen, you know, so many things should happen at the same time. So many bad things. No, it's impossible, James. I mean, to start with, as, as soon as Barcelona opens the ground uh, and uh, 90,000 followers, fans, they showed the discomfort they've got with the, the team's performance. I think that the team is going to wake up. Barcelona has been a bit lucky, in fact, that they have been playing in an empty ground because otherwise the pressure on the players would have been unbearable. Mm, okay. Now, very shortly, as I mentioned, we'll hear about Roma's excellent weekend, uh, James's chat with their manager, and also we'll discuss Maradona's other, other brother. But first, let's hear from Lee Price. Hello again, listeners. A little Brucey bonus for you. Extra me. Aren't you lucky? Uh, just giving you a quick blast of European number one, aka the odds for the Champions League. Bayern Munich, you might be surprised to hear, remain favourites after being drawn against Lazio. They're 11 to 4 to retain their European crown. Man City are second favourites of 4 to 1, ahead of Liverpool at 13 to 2. And that's the three leading contenders, we think. Juventus and PSG are both priced at 11 to 1, despite drawing very different opposition. I don't know if that reflects badly on Andrea Perlo or Barcelona. Actually, nothing could reflect badly on Perlo, could it? I could project my own face onto his and still somehow make that work. Uh, Real Madrid, remember them? They're 14 to 1 to win the Champions League, while Chelsea and Atletico are each priced at 16 to 1. Clearly, we can't split them. Barcelona, meanwhile, are 18 to 1, making them a real long shot. Luckily, Warner Koeman's quite good at those, or used to be anyway. Ciao for now. 
You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. James, what happened for the first time since 1931 this weekend? Well, many things probably, <laughs> but specifically to do with Roma. They scored five in the first half, James. Hmm. They were mightily impressive as well. Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, who has been back to his, his best um, this season, healthy as well. I uh, haven't seen him play this well since he was at Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Um, 11 goal involvement so far. Only matched by Bruno Fernandes, uh, or Bruno Fernandes, as uh, Raf likes to call him. And Florian Tovan, who had a good weekend as well, Jules, in Liga. Um, but yeah, uh, Roma, aside from that uh, defeat uh, to Napoli at the San Paolo, um, have been really good. Uh, for for most of this this season, I mean that Napoli defeat came just days after the death of Maradona. I mean going there and and, and <laughs> expecting to win is is pretty difficult given the kind of emotional uh, meaning of that game to to, to Naples and, and and Napoli's players. Um, but yeah, Roma looking like they can really contend for for a top four spot. They've been out of the the Champions League the last couple of years. They were. Comfortable getting through their group. They're playing Braga in the round of 32. That's Paolo Fonseca going back and facing one of the old teams that he used to coach. Um, we spoke about that in an interview. I was kind of a little bit surprised that uh, uh, his his primary influence as a, as a coach was Jorge Jesus, who's back after what winning the Copa Libertadores with uh, with Flamengo. Um, but yeah. Had been watching Making a Murderer. Um, he has before. Yeah, he had. Yeah, before before I uh, spoke to him, he just finished it. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, in Bologna at the weekend, it was um, murder. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was. It was pretty horrific. Unless you're Gianluca Pagliuca, whose son Mattia right. uh, came on and made his debut for Bologna um, in uh, in the second half. So, um, but not in goal, yeah, I Bo- see. Not in goal, no. He came out and came on and played on the wing. Right. Uh, Bologna have got lots of kids. Uh, Aaron Hickey, uh, for one. Hickey, who I think had uh, had flu, so he wasn't involved in this game. And it was probably for the best um, as well, because um, uh, Roma's wing-backs were completely rampant in this game. Spinazzola is having a, a very good season uh, as well. So, yeah, pretty pretty impressive from the uh, from the Giallarossi. Okay. Napoli, you mentioned... Uh Roma's trip down there just after Maradona's death. They've been absolutely flying, uh, kind of before, but certainly since. And interestingly, Alvaro, you were mentioning that the last 32 draw for the Europa League will pit them against another of Maradona's old sides, but not the one you're expecting. Yeah, it's Granada-Napoli. It's the Diego Armando-Maradona derby. Um, Yeah. So when did Maradona play for Granada? It was a friendly game uh, back in the late 80s at Maradona's prime. Basically, uh, at some point, the Granada president got obsessed uh, with making a huge PR move and sign a top player. I think Granada was in the second division at the time. And since he couldn't afford any of the world's top players, uh, he decided to sign a Maradona, but not Diego, but his brother Lalo, who happened to play... Lalo Maradona. Yeah, uh, his name is Raul, but the nickname was Lalo. Um, Okay. Because there was also Hugo Maradona, who who played briefly for Ascoli. Yes, yes, yes. So it was uh, Lalo was the youngest of all of them. Uh And according to Diego, James, um, Lalo was the best of them. You know, there are always stories like this. So as Granada couldn't afford to sign Lalo, Diego Armando Maradona himself helped uh, Granada organizing a friendly against Malmo. 
who happened to be a very good European side at the time. Roy Hodgson's Malmo, probably. Was it? Was it Roy Hodgson's? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, they beat Inter around that time, didn't they? Uh, they beat Traps Inter. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if it was it was Roy Hodgson's Malmo. So, basically, since uh, Granada couldn't afford to sign Lalo, Diego Armando Maradona himself uh, organized a friendly against Malmo. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maradona, the good one, played that friendly all together with uh, the other brother, Hugo, and uh, Lalo himself. Yep. They managed to gather some money, and Lalo Maradona signed for Granada not long after that for 20 million pesetas, which was Ooh. something like 120,000 euros. And he played uh, not many games over there. 19 games he played. He got two goals. Part of a career which took him from Boca Juniors in 1986 to Deportivo Italia in 1999, a total, they're in Venezuela, uh, and uh, a total of 12 clubs in 14 seasons and a variety of countries. He turned out for Avispa Fukuoka uh, in the Japanese second division, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, the Buffalo Blizzard, who are an indoor uh, team, and so many more. Uh, Deportivo La Ferrera, there in Buenos Aires. Fantastic. Jules? It's a bit like the game he played for Spurs, you know. When he went, he came to London for the Osvaldo Ardiles uh, testimonial, wasn't it? And played one half with Spurs and one half with the rest of the world or whatever they called. So, played with Glenn Hoddle, who have very has very fond memories of obviously playing with Diego. Indeed. Magnificent stuff. Well, much to look forward to then in the months to come and uh, this midweek too with those tasty European fixtures but with that we come to the end of today's Totally Football Show European edition many thanks to Jules to James to Alvaro and to you Rafa and to you of course listener thanks for being with us we'll be back next Tuesday with more Continental Delights have a great week till then from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.